0: I'm Michelle Kelly, editor of Cottage Life magazine. I'm delighted to welcome you to the Cottage Life podcast. In this episode, we speak with graphic novelist and writer David Robertson about appreciating rather than appropriating First Nations culture. Also, we take a magical winter walk in the woods and we offer an easy cure for a creepy cottage problem. What to do when leeches find you in the water. This is the Cottage Life Podcast, where every day is the weekend.
1: Hey, Cottage Coach Adam Holman here. If you know me, you know I spend a lot of time outdoors. Whether I'm camping with my family or fishing in my top secret spot, there's nowhere I'd rather be than in the wild. But we all have to head home at some point, and I'm pretty sure that the mosquitoes have put a homing device on me. Because sometimes they can be just as annoying in my backyard. So when I'm back in the city, I use the backyard mosquito lamp from off. Whether I'm barbecuing my breakfast or having a backyard dinner with my family, I know I'll be safe from mosquitoes for up to six hours. Which means I may never have to go inside again.
0: David Robertson is a Winnipeg-based award-winning graphic novelist and writer. He's also a member of Noray House Cree Nation. In our recent June-July issue of Cottage Life, David wrote a thought-provoking essay on a topic that's on the mind of many cottagers these days, the difference between appreciating versus appropriating First Nations culture. Is it okay to put in a nookshuk on your shoreline? What about a totem pole on your property? I spoke to David to help us better understand how to navigate some of our nervousness about these complex issues. I should let you know that the interview took place before the news broke about the discovery of unmarked graves of Indigenous children who attended residential school across Canada. While we don't directly address these discoveries and their massive ramifications in this conversation, it's clear that understanding and appreciating First Nations culture has never been more urgent. With that in mind, here is our conversation. Thanks for joining me on the podcast, David. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, I did want to start by asking you, and this is kind of the heart of of your piece in the magazine, what is the difference, you can sum it up, between appropriation and appreciation?
2: Right. So appropriation is when we borrow elements from another culture. And typically, it's um, like a dominant culture, um, borrowing elements from a like a marginalized culture. Um, so like, you know, um, a non-Indigenous um, community, for example, or person um, borrowing elements from the, an Indigenous culture. Um, and then the, I think the other part of it is that you're not only borrowing from that culture, but you're also using it for some kind of gain, whether it's uh, a monetary gain or even um, personal attention. Um, those elements all need to be in place for something to be um, an act of appropriation. Um, so it could even right. be, it could even be just you know posting on social media um, uh, something without permission, um, like uh, someone in, in regalia for example, without giving credit or without any context um, and just just because you want to get likes or something like that. Okay. That, that, you know, that's something that's a, that's an appropriate act. Um, the appreciation is is really when we we look at these cultures uh, and the things that we're doing and we are seeking to understand it, um, where we we know that what we are you know displaying, for example, is something that belongs to um, the history and traditions um, of another culture. Um, and we uh, do the work to understand the roots of it, where it's from, what it means. Um, and then we are able to articulate that, um, to somebody else so that we can explain, um, what it is. And, uh, it's, it's kind of, at some, at some points it can be a, a little bit of a tricky line. Um, mm-hmm. but I think it is, it is, you know, that, that thought it's, it's, um, it's, you know, I think that I need to learn, I learn about this. Um, and, and then actually just doing the research to understand it.
0: Okay, so let me put that idea in practice. So say I go to a powwow in cottage country, which which there are quite a few, mm. and then I take photos and I post on social media. Is that appropriation or is that appreciation? That's a tough one for me.
2: Yeah, you know, I think that for me, if I were to see that, um and it would, there was no context to it so you know you have the opportunity on social media to um to write some sort of description um and if you are if you're posting a picture like that from a powwow that you've attended um and you're explaining the, the significance of the powwow you're ex, you're explaining um you know wh- where you were um you know what it's about even uh, the specific regalia or dance that you're t- you're showing um then, you know, I think that kind of gets you out of uh, kind of a problematic area. Um, mm-hmm. And also where you can, and this is the other important part is seeking permission. Um, so right. you're asking permission to post the picture and then giving credit. And that's something that I think is, is also very important. And it it, it, can, uh, it can kind of cross you over either either line of, of appreciation or appropriation.
0: Right. I guess even asking to take the picture in the first place.
2: Yeah, I, I, that wouldn't be um, you know it wouldn't be a tough thing to do or um, no. a wrong you know it wouldn't be wrong to do that. I think it actually would be you know really appreci- appreciated. And the thing is with like you know with Indigenous people um, and not to you know again I guess not to, to blanket ever all them all into one group because there's there's many different distinct Indigenous cultures across Canada. Exactly. but you know indigenous peoples are you know very understanding very welcoming very warm and and willing and 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 actually oftentimes excited to be able to talk about um these things to talk about their culture to talk about their language to talk about their tra- their traditions um because we understand the importance of sharing this knowledge um yeah. so that so that people understand um because You know, a lot of the problems that we've seen historically in Canada is because there hasn't been an understanding. There's been there's been, you know, um, assumptions um, that have led to, you know, really kind of uh, difficult times in our history. Um, Yes. So we so we really appreciate that, you know. And um, so I I, I think there's all sometimes a nervousness um, that people have. Um, You don't need to have that nervousness. I think that um, it's. It's it's we understand people make mistakes and um, I don't think anybody I know would ever guilt anybody for making a mistake either. Um, Mm -hmm. And and all this is so new that um, we're all we're all learning. And um, right. And learning is part of the growth, the growth process that gets us to where we eventually want to be.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's the it's so true for so many things. Understanding equals acceptance, you know, and sometimes people do just want to understand things before they can really under, accept them um, for, you know, better or worse. I, I just want to pick up on something you said earlier that I think is also, you know, can, can be challenging in this situation. And I find it personally challenging is that w- what is offensive to one First Nations person isn't offensive to another, perhaps. And as you said, it's, you know, a very... Um, you know everyone is different indigenous culture across canada is varied which is wonderful but i also wonder if that that can be confusing for people and so what would you say to someone who asked about that
2: you know i, I would just say even though there's a distinct difference between many indigenous cultures um that the the act of appropriation is universally acceptable ex- accepted accepted as you know a, a, like a defined a defined act a defined term um mm-hmm. so whether whether you're dealing with you know um elements from the Inuit culture which is very common um you know cuz the the Inukshuk um the kayak even is from the yeah. Inuit culture um or the Cree culture or you know the Haida culture which is um one of the west uh, northwest pacific uh cultures that uh where the totem pole originates from um you know there's there's all these different elements from all these different uh, indigenous cultures um but the the act of appropriation um and how i i have come to understand it is is universally the same thing so um what no matter what culture you're you're using elements from um you know it's it's all appropriation um no matter where it's no no matter what culture um and so, and it, it's not also, I should say too, it's not It's not just relegated to only Indigenous culture. Um, Certainly you know, not, yeah. You know, I think that's, a, that's an important point is that, you know, we've seen appropriation occur from, you know, the, the Black community, the Asian community, um, you know, all of these different marginalized groups um, that have these really beautiful traditions, um, you know, b- beautiful um, regalia, be- whatever it might be um you know just borrowed um uh without thought just kind of as though they are um there for free use and um you know i think that that's 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 an important point too and i i i talk about that as well with my with my books and what i try to accomplish with them as well in terms of representation you know it's not just representing indigenous people um when we talk about these things it's representing um any marginalized group
0: yeah So another thing you said in the article, and I was kind of surprised in a sense, is that people actually ask you, you know, what's the big deal about this? And I mean, I guess it's hard. I always think about as a white woman, I have been so shielded from the realities and the extent of racism in our country for so long. So I'm kind of learning as I dig into this more that the stakes are are high. And I'm surprised to hear people say to you, you know, what's the big what's the big deal? Can, Can you say a little bit more about that experience?
2: Well, you know, I think that like for me, um, I, I I found that over time, I, I, I don't get upset or angry about these things anymore because I understand that um, there just needs to be some education that takes place and it hasn't obviously taken place in, in, in these cases. You know, one of the things I try to explain is that even though it seems like it's a small thing, um, like it's not that significant because it's just You know, someone's dressing up as Pocahontas or, um, you know, someone's wearing a baseball cap from the Cleveland baseball team. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I explained that these things are seeds that are planted um, that grow and they create um, an environment where um, these it either shapes perceptions that we have of Indigenous people um, or expectations um, that are grounded in, Mm. um, you know, falsities and it can lead to beyond problematic things, but, you know, it can, it can lead to dangerous things. Um, You know, one of the things that I think um, we're still dealing with today at a a very significant level is the epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. And so oftentimes you'll see still today and in throughout history, Mm -hmm. this sexualization of indigenous women, Um, and it, it, it has led to, um, in, in areas and in times in history and today, um, this perception of Indigenous women that leads to violence. Um,
0: No, and, and when you lay it out, the A to B, uh, how you get from one spot to the other actually becomes pretty easy to see when you lay it out so clearly the way that you just did. And, and I think too, um, You know, we say this all the time when we're talking at the magazine about how we move forward in a world that's, you know, more focused on diversity and inclusion, a world that we very much want to be a part of. We always say, you know, we're going to make mistakes, but when you know better, you do better. And I think that's part of what you're saying here, too, is that. Uh, education is so important so I wanted to ask you on on that point um, what are some of the steps that cottagers can take you know the to rectify some of these sins that that have come um, from the past and and to move into the future in a more respectful and appreciative place when it comes to um, cultures that are not their own like for example the obvious question can you put up that anukshuk on your shoreline that you have always that you have always put out there and you're quite fond of
2: right it's a great question and i love that that saying um if you know better you do better um a great example of what i feel the process looks like is um is at a restaurant in clear lake which is a a, a cottage area that I, i've been to every year since i was a kid and an owner of a restaurant called the wigwam which i mentioned in the article um mm-hmm. you know she uh, when she bought out uh, the, the the business from her parents um immediately changed the name because she it always had bothered her and that that's the question part of it right so um we talked about you know people just having these lingering questions or doubts about whether or not something is is right um she had that feeling and so she 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 educated herself about it and, and when she realized that um, the name was appropriating from Indigenous culture, she um, made the switch um, to change the restaurant's name um, and, and then also asked me um, if it was okay if she referenced the history of the restaurant on the wall that she was planning, this kind of uh, heritage wall um, with, pic- with pictures of it. So she did all the right things and she even incorporated land acknowledgements in her menu and on the website. And so, you know, I think what we need to do is when you have those questions is, first of all, to do some research and just um, it could be as simple as going out onto, onto the right sites on Google um and and reading up about um the que- the things that you have a question about it's not hard to find information about for example the anukshuk um it's not hard to find out questions about h- the history of the kayak um and and when we do that and we educate ourselves then um you know that's really a a good first step
0: yeah well and and it's interesting because i think uh, I, I know that the vast majority of cottagers um, they are trying to be uh, respectful and they do appreciate and they just sometimes don't know how to go about it. So it's kind of a good place to end actually with, with what, what you're saying here is, you know, ask the questions. Don't be afraid to get it wrong, but keep asking the questions because when you know better, you do better. And um, and that's really the solution.
2: Yeah. You know what? And, and don't be afraid of making mistakes. Um everybody makes mistakes you know if yes. we're, if, we're, if yes. we're doing things with a in a, with a good heart and we're doing things in a good way um, then you know a mistake is part of the lear- learning process
0: mm-hmm. I, I wanted to say thank you for not just coming on our podcast, but thank you for all of the work that you do um, in educating people. Um, I know it must be very difficult at times, but, you know, it's working. It's working for the team at Cottage Life and, and for our readers too, I think. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast today, David.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: For the June July 2019 issue of Cottage Life, we asked several of our favorite contributors to share their thoughts on going wild at the cottage. Award winning writer Clive Thompson had this experience to share about a magical journey into the woods. Walk into the Midnight Light is read by Pedro Mendez.
3: The image of the moonlight in the trees still haunts me. It was 1982, I was 13 and I was having a miserable time winter camping in the Boy Scouts. I'd been scouting since I was six, and our troop would frequently head out for a weekend at a wooded piece of land owned by a friendly farmer near Lake Scugog, Ontario. But winter camping was a dodgy affair, because our troop had wretched gear, a ragtag collection of moldy canvas tents, a tent heater that looked like it predated the First World War. I had a foam Snoopy-branded sleeping bag that probably wasn't rated for a cool summer evening, let alone sub-zero knee-deep snow. It'll toughen you up, my dad said cheerily. That was debatable, but we tried. We pitched the tent and at bedtime huddled in the dark, shivering and trying to ignore our chattering teeth. After a couple of hours, we realized it was delusional to believe sleep would come. Man, we're going to be awake until dawn, said one of my friends with a sigh. To kill time, we put our snowsuits back on and went for a midnight hike. The moon was full, so bright we didn't need flashlights. We plunged into a thick stand of fir trees, crunching quietly along the bed of dry needles for ten minutes, until we reached the edge of the firs and stumbled, suddenly, into the open. We'd reached a huge field, blanketed with snow, and across from us stood a stand of hundreds of white birch trees. That sight was supernatural so eerie it sticks with me even today. The slender, bare birch shone in the night like dry bones. The moon loomed low over the forest, the bed of snow a pale piece of paper, crisscrossed with the ink-black moon shadows of the birch. It was as if we'd stepped into one of Lauren Harris's luminous and unsettling paintings, the landscape aglow with a weird and radiant spirit, like the idea of cold itself, white on white on white. It's not easy to strike dumb a group of jaded teens, but we stood there, staring for so long our feet went numb, utterly silent. These days, I live in Brooklyn, New York, which isn't a very wild place. I spend most of my time amidst screens and steel and subways. I like it that way. I'm an urban creature, and big cities are just collections of small neighbourhood villages, a riot of society. But whenever I get a chance to dive back into the forests of Ontario... I take it, greedily, instantly. I go for long hikes, plunging into the woods, even in the freezing depths of winter. I think that almost 40 years later, I'm still chasing the spooky, almost alien beauty of that midnight scene. I want to be dragged out of myself in the way wilderness drags you. That's why it's so important to have these encounters with the woods when you're young, even when, perhaps especially when, you're physically miserable and just trying to endure it. The forest enters you like a ghost and never leaves.
1: Hey, cottage coach Adam Holman here. You know, some cottagers are all about the view. Me? I embrace the smells. Whether it's the scent of conifers after a good rain... The Canadian bacon on my cast iron skillet. Or the mist off the lake when I'm out for an early morning paddle. That's why I like to use off Deep free mosquito repellent during my outings. It isn't greasy or oily like some other repellents. And it's odor free, so I can enjoy every breath when I'm outdoors. Plus, it works well over my clothes. And because it's safe to use around plastics, I don't have to worry about my gear. So I can focus on the smells of nature without hearing the sounds of mosquitoes when I'm in the woods.
0: Cottage Life is well known for offering our readers little tips and hacks that make life at the lake a little bit easier. In this episode of the podcast, we help you out of a particularly sticky situation. What to do when you find a leech on your body after a swim. So the first thing that most cotters will do is they'll douse the leech in salt. This will indeed work because a leech absorbs chemicals through its body, so coating it in almost anything will irritate it enough to make it let go. But this strategy isn't really much fun for the leech, and it can even kill it. And you don't want to do that because many of the 60 species in Canada love to eat mosquito larvae in substantial quantities. So try this equally effective and much kinder solution. Submerge your limb in water and then use your fingernail to gently break the suction of each sucker. This method is a bit more hands-on than using the salt, and a bit more gross, but you won't have to work too hard to make the leech let go. It really won't take much, and then you're good. And the leech is good, so everyone wins, except for the mosquitoes. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe to the Cottage Life podcast for free wherever you get your podcasts. We'll have new episodes every Thursday throughout the summer, just in time for your drive to the lake. This episode is sponsored by our Cottage Life paid subscribers. I want to thank them for making this series possible. For new listeners, I invite you to check out our free email newsletters. Visit cottagelife.com newsletter to sign up. We'd love to hear from you. Post a review or email us at CottageLife.com. To find out more about our magazine, our television shows, and our live events, visit CottageLife.com. This podcast is produced by Katherine Jun and me, Michelle Kelly. I'll see you on the dock.